Mrs. Brightside is brought to you by Audible. Get your 30-day free trial today at audibletrial.com slash Mrs. Brightside where you can listen to some other motivating folks like Mr. Adam Carolla within 50 Years Wally Chicks or Steve Martin's Born Standing Up or Bruce Campbell's If Chins Could Kill or the new one Hail to the Chin, the follow-up to that. Because if you listen to my other podcasts, you'll know that that's sadly what's in my audio book collection. But again, guys, that is audibletrial.com slash Mrs. Brightside for your 30-day free trial. This week is interesting. I interviewed Kristen West of What Women Want podcast, horror actress, producer, so many hats. And the fun thing about this one is I just met her. That day, we had contacted via Facebook just to get, so it's really interesting because most of the people you're used to hearing on here are either my friends or family or people that I've known for quite some time. So yeah, I really like the direction this one went. So without further ado, here's the bright side of Plus Size. It's Mrs. Brightside. Uh, open up the curtains. Look outside. What's outside? It's Mrs. Brightside. Listening to Mrs. Brightside, where the glass is always half full. I'm, of course, Lucretia Lyon, and with me today is a lovely woman who I just met. So this will be fun and interesting. Uh, introduce yourself there. Hi, everybody. My name is Kristen West. All right. And what is it that you do here in Hollywood? A lot of stuff. Um, I'm a horror actress. I've been in a few indie horror films. I'm also the host of What Women Want Talk Radio on LA Talk Radio every Wednesday. And I also produce films as well. And one of the things that's very close to my heart is being an advocate for plus-size women in the entertainment industry and just in general. Well, and, and that's great. And, you know, that's something that I always felt that horror did really well is that they didn't always just have the skinny final girl, like, in the movies. Like, there was more, you know, options for different people, and they were just a little bit better off with diversity, as, you know, not just um, ethnically, but body types as well. Yeah. I agree with that, and I think yeah. horror, because it is a lot of independent figures in horror, indie directors, they're more willing to take risks where studios would not necessarily which is a great thing. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it is one of those things that luckily we're seeing more of it now, especially with, like, Chrissy Metz on uh, This Is Us, but, you know, where I knew her from? American Horror Stories, right. or even TV. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally, totally. And I think it's a, it's a great moment for uh, plus-size women right now because we have Chrissy and we have Melissa McCarthy and we have Ashley Graham in the modeling yeah. world. We have more visibility now than we ever have before. Yeah, and it is one of those things that it, it is about, you know, not everyone's going to look the same. And it is odd when people would, you know, n look at things just from, you know, an ethnic perspective versus like body types. And it's just like, you know, there's diversity in all avenues and we're finally getting to see that as well. It's absolutely true, and one of the most interesting things that I came across lately is there are 157 million women in the U.S. 100 million of them are, are size 14 or above. So plus-size women are actually in the majority of women, but we're not represented that way, which is a big problem. But I think one of the bright sides of this is if you're feeling down about your size or you've put on a few extra pounds or you you know you feel pressure to diet you're actually you're actually probably in the majority you're not that's nothing to be ashamed about it's just something that is yeah like that is normal mm -hmm. what's not normal is being able to eat whatever you want not gain a pound or you know just <laughs> not wanting to eat and enjoy food. I'm like, that's not normal. And, and there's nothing wrong with those people either. That's their choice or their blessing. But mm -hmm. it's like, um, yeah, we're, you're more normal if you're like struggling with this. Exactly. And I think, you know, in any conversation we have about people who are plus size, we also do have to acknowledge those people who do eat what they want and they can't gain weight either. And we also shame them too. There is sort of a shaming yeah. and a stigma to that, and I'm glad you brought that up. I actually retweeted uh, someone who I, in the horror community who actually was talking about that side of the coin 
And those people suffer as well for different reasons, but it's kind of a, a um, facet of the same problem. Yeah, because, you know, there's fat shaming, there's skinny shaming, too, because mm -hmm. my little brother is blessed. He can eat whatever he wants, no matter what he wants, and and drink as much beer, and I have to stick to Michelob Ultra or something like that while we're on a cruise, and it's just, it's just not fair. But you know what? I, you know, you envy him, but you're like, not like where you hate him. You just are like, I wish I could do that. Right. And you have to put it in that perspective, yeah. No, it's true. It's true. And I think the, the human mind is incredibly comparative. So when you are told what something yeah. or how something or someone should be, you hold yourself to that. Am I comparing? Am I measuring up literally to the standard that's been set? And that's very hard to deal with sometimes. Yeah. Well, in two, I feel like the real standard should be, are you healthy and do you feel good? And because that's an internal thing, and that's something we can usually fix. Because healthy looks different, and healthy feels different to people, you know, at least on an emotional level. So that's where we should all want to be, and that's what matters. Like, yeah, I'm glad that yeah. you brought up health, because I, a lot of times we get trapped in talking about health in one way only, which is our bodies. But dieting can put a severe mental pressure on a person and emotional pressure on a person as well. And so we have to care for the whole person when we're talking about health. It's not just, there's not just mental health and physical health and they're like, you know, feet apart and they don't intersect. There's intersectionality there. And we have to really honor that and find a place in, for each and every one of us where we feel the healthiest, both inside our bodies and inside our minds. If you're driving yourself crazy on a calorie-restrictive diet to be a certain BMI, it may not be conducive to your overall health picture. No, and, and two, I don't think people get that, you know, sometimes being healthy means, like, enjoying food. Um, and Because I know a lot of people that they, they, they over-diet and they're, you know, seem healthy but then they're not and because mm -hmm. like they're they're not really getting in any enjoyment and of course they're you know it is you know more about sustainability sometimes but if you deprive yourself from that peanut butter cookie all the time you're why like you mm -hmm. know eating a cookie every now and then is fine that's going to be good for your health if you reward yourself or think of things is more like you know yes it's great that I was able not to eat that the same but you know what it's your birthday Right. A piece of cake. Hmm. Totally. Well, the problem also is one of the non-bright sides of the whole issue mm -hmm. is that we have a visually dominant culture now, and that's because of the camera. Yeah. And that has been that you know since the invention of the camera, we have steered from being a whole sensory culture where we taste, touch, feel, smell, and see to pretty much a visually dominant culture where what we see we perceive as reality. If you look at the master painters like Peter Paul Rubens, they, beside, they're painters, so obviously they're not giving you a sense of smell or a sense of taste, but there was this sort of a sensuality there that I think is lost now. Yeah. And that we don't really take time to engage our other senses. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually part of the reason that I have made sure that this doesn't ever really become like a video podcast too because... You know, I, I'm sitting here, no makeup, whatever, and that's what I, I love about this is I can just be me. And, in, you know, as I say, I do this without headphones on. I do it more as a conversation because I'm interested in, you know, this is all about listening. So you're not getting, the viewer's not getting the visual component, but I'm getting to do both things because that's sort of how I need to get to know. I mean, as you say, we just literally met. Right. <laughs> and, like, that's why I think, that, you know, as you brought up, using all those senses is so important. And that's why, you know, people have lost... It's not all about the visual. I mean, I thought, you know, my actually biggest turn-on is a sexy voice. That's, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm just like... I guess for me, I've, I've never been that much of a visual person. More of like an mm -hmm. all-around. But, but it is sort of you see with people that have become so visual with all those photos. 
And yeah, that's why it's good that we're having stuff like this where we're getting away from that because podcasts are actually um, in some ways more the it thing rather than YouTube shows or things like that. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, Shakespeare's time, you went and you, the play was there. If you've ever been to the Globe, you can see the stage, you can see the action on the stage. But if you're in the way, way back there, like most of the commoners, mm-hmm. you were hearing the play more than you were seeing it. Yeah. And that's in religious culture, too, you know, Catholic Mass. For a long time before 1960, you would go to hear Mass, not go to Mass. You would go to hear it. When you hear, if you have great-great-grandparents around still, and they're Catholic, you will hear that, them say that, oh, I went to hear Mass. So, yeah, our we have to be whole sensory people. And for me, biggest turn yeah. on for me is smell. Oh, and yeah. that's the oldest part of the brain. And that's, you know also very much connected to food and food culture as well. Yeah, and and that's the thing is, um, I don't know about you, but I love food, and food's uh, such a big part, because as you say, smell, I'm really into Canadians. Um, (laughs) So, like, I love that, you know, dirty hockey, like, maple smell, I guess, and because it reminds me of poutine and other things I love. Do you have a secret crush on Trudeau? No, uh, sorry, he's too much of a gal for me. I like a boy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because there's different components of attraction. And, yeah, I love that that dirty hockey smell. Mm. Conjures something very specific and very interesting. Um, But, yeah, I mean, our our whole personhood is not dictated by one image. I know there's so many people that, like, on their Instagram profile, they they don't rotate out their picture because they think of themselves as only themselves in one specific moment of time where I looked great here but you know three years later after two bad boyfriends I looked awful here there's no self-acceptance yeah like you know I always hesitate sometimes to put photos out there when I don't feel I look my best but I'm like well no you need to show this too because recently I was like oh yeah I forgot we would probably take photos when we went to see this movie I don't have any makeup on I got my hair up I didn't was going to to some gal pals and I'm like eh whatever that's real yeah yeah exactly well I think one of the things too with advertising advertisers is one of the easiest sells you can make is selling insecurity it's very easy sales pitch it's a very lazy sales pitch but the great thing is I think women are not buying into that anymore quite literally yeah there are so many campaigns right now that are about like you know i woke up this way trying to show i mean and let's face it some of those are makeup on like like as i say (laughs) i was in a commercial that you were supposed to have no makeup on and of course they put makeup on you right so like not everybody's quite honest but it's at least going more into like let's at least try to be more real and everything like that and versus like, yeah, or, you know, as we say, a lot of us, you know, lose and gain weight and we don't want to, of course, we'd rather look at those pictures where we're like our best self. But like, if we're only putting those out, we're only perpetuating that stereotype. No, yeah. it's true. And I think what women need to understand and embrace is the economic power women have. Yeah. You, you create the world you want to see with your buying power. If you stop buying diet pills, the diet industry would crash. Exactly. Yeah. And we have to embrace that buying power, especially directing our money and our our dollars to companies that don't sell us fear and insecurity. Yeah, because that's the thing is it's like, I don't understand the mindset of wanting to buy something that makes you feel bad. Don't you want to buy something that makes you feel good? When you have it, or, like, in the commercials, you're like, wow. Like, I have no problem necessarily looking at the people in commercials, but are they really enjoying themselves, like, more so than anything? And then it's great, too, when you notice that the people are, like, not just, like, look all the same. And then that's the second thing you look at. And then it goes on and on and on. But, yeah, like, a lot of these fear-mongering commercials are, why do we need that? Well, I was at a a commercial audition recently, and... Full disclosure, I'm not a mom. I've never had kids. I'm considered a mom type. The majority of the women that auditioned to be a mother were not mothers. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't know if that's 
I don't know if that serves women. I'm not saying that every commercial audition you have to be what the role is, because that's, you know, that's not acting, but, you know, I'm not going for cinema verite here, but, you know, is is a perfectly thin mid-twenties person an accurate reflection of what motherhood looks like? No, and that as you put the nail on the head, that's the thing there is that while you don't think that they should actually have to be that, they should look like what most people would assume that is. And it's not a skinny 20-something um, woman because most people are not having kids till after they're 30 anyway. And then you have the fact of you've had kids and not everybody gets to be Jenna Dewan Tatum. No offense. Beautiful, lovely mm -hmm. person, everything. But she's a, an exception, not the rule. So... Yeah. That's not what most women are going to look like after they have kids because, you know, they don't have some of the looks. They don't have a team of people, no. you know, like, you know, um, Duchess Kate does. There's a whole section of the um, plastic surgery industry that is mommy makeover. Yeah. You know, have the kid, <laughs> tummy tuck the next day. I mean, <laughs> breast lift as soon as you're ready. And I don't know... Seeing those images of women bounce back so quickly, I think it puts unrealistic expectations on women. And I just wish there was a little bit more accuracy in the portrayals. But where the exciting part is for me is actually teen girls are responsible for the growth in the plus-size clothing industry. They are demanding images that are more reflective of them. That's why you're seeing more... Um, people launching plus-size clothing lines, and more plus-size clothing in stores. Now, it's still not great, I will tell you. Um, just real life, I went to Macy's down the street. First two floors of clothing were Miss size. Third floor of clothing was half formal wear Miss and petite Miss and pregnancy. And then the other half of the third floor was plus, the whole gamut of plus. So Majority of women are only getting half a floor of, of shopping. Now, at Bloomingdale's, right down the street, they don't have plus-size clothing in the store anymore. You have to order online. But that's not the trend. Um, we're actually seeing more and more plus-size clothing getting into actual stores, which is a great thing for plus-size women. Yeah, because I notice, like, say, um, stores I'm more likely to shop at, to be honest, like Kohl's and Target, that's usually half the, the section, which mm -hmm. makes sense. I mean, because those are also, like, that's where most people shop. Because, right. I mean, I'm sorry, why would you not shop at Kohl's? A lot exactly. of things are, like, 80% off, and, and it's good stuff. <laughs> you know? got your Kohl's cash, girl? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's interesting, because I think, Right now, high fashion hasn't had its moment of reckoning with plus-size people, but I think it's the market's going to drive it there because you can't, you know, 100 million women in the U.S. now. And, and that, that's, I don't know what these statistics are in Europe or in Asia or in the Middle East, but certainly our, our buying power is actually growing and our cultural influence is actually growing as well. Yeah, and that's just great. And, you know, going back to commercials a little bit, most of the time when, you know, we in the industry, this is what we'll see when they go out for commercials is we want real people, not actors. But yet, even when it's quote unquote real people, not actors, actors are real people, A, and then B, <laughs> when you mean real people, you don't really mean real people. You're like, I want people who look like, you know, the the cheerleader, <laughs> you know. They should just say, not Margot Robbie. Yeah. <laughs> no offense to Margot, but, you know, there's not model types. You know, and yeah. I see that a lot, not yeah. model types. One of the big problems, too, is that narrative film hasn't caught up to the aesthetic. Commercials have caught up. But breakdown after breakdown after breakdown after breakdown must be hot, must be model thin, still. My favorite one to read is... Curvy, but then I'm like, uh, like, I don't know how that goes together because, like, you know, those are like two opposites. Structurally enhanced no. would be, yes, <laughs> would be more accurate. Yeah, that's the thing is, I'm like, oh, so you mean I gotta pay for the butt? Okay, <laughs> yeah, I that's that's one of those those big problems, and I'm hoping that we can be part of that change.
as well as to get more people of, of more diverse sizes in film. And um, I'm actually working on that. Um, Armin Nasseri is my friend. He's a director, and we are um, shopping around a film called Seeking Valentina. It was an award-winning short film, and we're hoping to get distribution for it very soon. And he actually had me play the romantic lead of that film. And I'm a plus-sized woman with a, with a regular-sized guy. And we made it perfectly normal. And that was, I think, part of the wonderful part of that film. And I'm hoping that other directors will also take Armin's lead. And I think as we push for more women in the director's chair, more women producers, we're also going to see changes in representation as well. Yeah, because I feel like men have always somewhat had that in film, while women were never really accepted up until we had, like, Melissa McCarthy and people like that. Because, I mean, not to knock this movie, because I really enjoy it, but when you have Knocked Up with Seth Rogen, schlubby guy, mm -hmm. with Catherine Heigl, beautiful, tall, five foot ten model, and, like, I mean, no offense, but, like, why would that woman be with him in one way? Like, you know, the movie turns out okay, but everybody, it's like, oh, but that's a fantasy. But you would never do it the opposite. Like, you know. Right, no, no. And there's there's a whole little box of film criticism we could open mm, yeah. up that film is the male gaze and it's a projection of male fantasy. <laughs> that's probably a whole other episode <laughs> of the show. But no, you're right. Men have had that for a very long time. And women have not had that opportunity Except in one case, you know, the the idea of the cougar has become a very popular yes. trope nowadays. It's, you know, Kim Cattrall and and cougars and, and all of that has become something. But males can invest in that fantasy, yeah. especially male younger males who maybe want to have the sugar baby experience <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can invest in that fantasy. So I guess what's heartbreaking is that women have been told that a male fantasy is reality, but men have to invest in our fantasies for them to be validated and to be commercial, air quotes. Well, I, I'm just here to admit something. The woman fantasy, or at least from my perspective, is a job more than any other thing. Right. <laughs> I know, and that's the saddest thing. That's why our strippers are firefighters. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I'm glad because, that you brought up the pay gap because... With the the diet craze and the structural enhancement craze and Botoxing and all of that, it, it really can hurt a woman financially if mm -hmm. she's not careful about what she's doing. Because not only are you dealing with women who, in every industry across the board, deal with a gigantic pay gap, then you have all these pressures to look a certain way to keep up your job or your appearance. Attra attractive people, quote-unquote, are more likely to be hired for a job than what we would deem unattractive people. So there's a severe financial consequences for not looking a certain way, regardless of whether you're in entertainment or not. Yeah, because that is a thing, is people think that's just strictly um, an entertainment or you know image-based business. But actually, sadly, most businesses are image-based. Because um, sometimes I would do psychological experiments on that and go and apply for jobs dressed in different things or wear makeup versus not. And it was always interesting to see, you know, the perception. And, too, the perception oftentimes with... Um, with other females is often very negative if you don't fit a certain standard um, either. And, and that that's one of the things that I found more interesting is I'm like, huh. <laughs> yeah. Women have to do a better job of supporting yeah. each other regardless yeah. of whether you're size zero or you're size 5X. Because a, a, a lot of times what we forget is that there is a giant boat called womanhood and we suffer many of the same things. Yep. And women tend to forget that and it can enable people to take advantage of us. Yeah, it is unfortunate. And like you hit the nail on the head there again with, um, you know, women need to support other women. And I feel like we are getting around to that, especially with stuff like, like Me Too. And as you see, like, you know, these teenage girls demanding, you know, body positivity. This is girls standing together and, you know, supporting one another and support, you know, wanting things to be equal. 
that's fine. And that's what we need to do is we want to, we should be, you know, as we say, no skinny shaming, no fat shaming. Um, we all need to support each other in that. And, um, yeah, luckily we do see us coming together more than tearing apart as it once was. Yeah, definitely true. And I think one of the great things about social media is that it shows us images that are not necessarily made by an advertiser or a large multinational corporation or necessarily very highly fabricated. We actually can see real people as they are. The The pitfall of that, though, is that we have infinitely more opportunities to compare ourselves negatively to other people. And what we fail to recognize, especially in the case of Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, is that people curate their realities yeah. now, what they want you to see. You don't. You really don't have the live feed of anyone else's life or experience well and it, and it is sort of like sad as we all know that but how many of us still somehow think that's it and i'm like because even when you know it you're guilty of like oh but you didn't see them wake up this morning and like struggle <laughs> like get on the scale be you depressed. didn't hear fight with bay first thing yeah in the morning. exactly i mean <laughs> And that's sort of a thing. It's like we really don't know what's going on with other people. And we have to just sort of accept that. We're all going to put our best selves out there to an extent. But maybe if we're just a little bit more honest and put the put those real um, pictures out there. <laughs> you know, I don't really have a problem with unmade photos. Like, I've never been makeup girl. Not really. There's a few products I like. But I've never... I've. I have always been, like, just sort of live and let live, and I, I'm just kind of no fuss. Yeah. Where I, where I get, like, ticked off in fashion, shoe shopping is a nightmare for me, because I wear a size 11 wide. Five foot eight, wear a size 11 wide. have worn a size 11 wide since I was 14 years old. <laughs> so that was a nightmare. I was the tall girl. I was the tall big girl in high school. I was that girl. So... That was always a nightmare. Bra shopping is a nightmare for me. Oh yeah, it's the worst. That's why I like I don't I don't like bras. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Bra shopping is the worst. And when you have those things that are necessary and essential to you functioning in the world, I mean most I mean, most people men don't have to deal with bra shopping. A lot of women could get away with wearing not wearing a bra. I don't think I could get away with not wearing a bra personally. But when you have those negative experiences in shopping, it, it's kind of hard to put put on a smiley face and be like, oh, this is so great. I love shopping. No, sometimes I really hate it. Oh, yeah. I have always hated shopping. Like, I'll admit, like, I only like shopping with my mom, but that's because most of the time our shopping is really just us, like, um, talking about things. It's not the shopping itself. It's just, like, the, the act of us doing it together. And it's, you know, it, that's the nice part. But, yeah, like, go, having to go into the dressing room, oh, my God. And and the thing is, when you're when you're not, you know, unfortunately just tall and thin, it's hard to, most clothes are made, and, and that's because what fit modeling is. Most mm -hmm. clothes are made for that body type. And um, that's just the way that things are. And so people like us have to try on every little thing. And you're like, okay, like, and it's so painful because you're like, well, that didn't look like that on the mannequin and this. But then at the same time, you're like, okay, I can't wear everything. But then the bright side of that is it narrows the fact of things I have to choose from. <laughs> right. It, it lessens the dent to the credit yeah. card, which is mm -hmm. nice because if you're, if you have so many choices, you may buy all of them. Um, for me, the best part of shopping was when I was 14, because I could shop the Miss section as an XL, <laughs> and I could shop the Plus section as a 14W, and that was really nice, because I got infinitely more choices then, but, you know, like you said about things not fitting right, there's a diversity of body types, too. Some people are top-heavy, like me. Some people uh, are have bigger hips. Some people are very small framed. Some people are large framed. I can't fit in most wristwatches. I have to have them like extended and stuff. So if you have to really get to know your body and get to know, you know, and accept what you've been given, which is very hard because diet culture, I think, makes us 
and makes us think, oh, we're responsible for everything. You're, you're responsible for every calorie you put in your mouth, and that's why you have this jiggle on your butt. And yes, you should be responsible about what you eat. And yes, you've got to take care of yourself. And yes, you should exercise. But you also have been handed generation after generation after generation after generation of genetic material for good, yeah. <laughs> for good or bad. <laughs> you know, my grandfather was six feet tall and he had shoulders the size of a dashboard. It all, all my ancestors were Dutch, Belgian, big people. <laughs> so I was never going to be tiny, even though I had fantasies as a child about being Thumbelina. I really wanted to be Thumbelina. <laughs> I was never going to get there. <laughs> I would have had to have a bone reduction. Yeah, and and that's sort of the thing is, like, that's what people don't realize is every single one of us wants whatever we didn't have, whether you be tall and thin, mm-hmm. uh, you might want to, you wanted to be short, I know, or or whatever it is. And so that's that's the norm is honestly... Everybody has issues with their body. You're not alone, and everybody wants to be something different. Um, yeah, uh, but at the same time, we've got to learn to embrace, as you said, you know, find the clothes that fit. I remember the one time I did a, a beauty pageant. I did the Miss Texas USA, the one of the big ones, I which did was too. hystericus. Oh, you did Miss Texas USA? Miss Hill Country USA. Oh, yeah. <laughs> who, was your, who won that year, your year? My year was Allie Nugent. My year was Lauren Lanning. Hmm. I was Lauren's roommate that year, so that was fun. (laughs) I got to see everything. (laughs) Yeah, but didn't you love, like, when you were going to try on the evening gowns and things like that? And, like, I remember I went to Ephraim Danforth. Um, I remember his name because it was so cute. And he was just this fun, fabulous gay guy who um, he was the guy to go to to get your evening gown there in Houston. And um, he said to me, because, you know, let's be clear, I am Sandy Bullock and Miss Congeniality doing this. I am very <laughs> butch Barbie. Like, I had to learn how to curl my hair and put on makeup for this thing, because that was not me. This was, you know, just me trying to get out of my comfort zone and uh, build a brand. Um, <laughs> but, like, um, so, yeah, and he was like, you know what I liked about you is you actually knew what fit you. He goes, all these... Um, skinny girls that do these pageants all the time, I have to tell them what to wear. And they'll argue the day. He goes, but I was like, I know, halter style, this style. I knew what looked good on me. And I said, yeah, that's because, you know, you learn, these are the few things I can wear when you got big boobs. <laughs> right, right. No, you have to become like a, uh, you're sort of your own stylist and your own coach. And it was great that he, in that yeah. moment, just took you at your word and didn't try to remake you into something that you weren't or try and force you into something that didn't fit or was too tight or any of that. And that's great that you had that person there for you in that moment. And it's an intense process doing a pageant. Oh, yeah. I, I had to learn how to do the curl and, you know, I, I mean, I am pale as a ghost, okay, naturally. But I had the spray tan and everything. I mean, it was a full-time job. Yeah, that was me. I was lucky that, um, you know, and that's where I learned to get sponsorships. Like, you know, how I had to do with this podcast and everything. is like, you learn to get things, and it's like, well, I guess I got to get a spray tan. How do I go? Well, pick what? I was Miss Highland Park. Uh, So um, that was, like, I would go to that neighborhood and see who would do things. Because I'm having to learn this. or (laughs) Right, right. And it's, I think one of the things, a lot of people are down on pageant culture yeah. for various reasons, and a lot of those reasons are justified, but I think it can be, like you said, really out of your comfort zone in a good way, if you go into it with the right attitude. Yeah, because that was the only one I ever did, which is apparently a huge faux pas, but whatever. Um, but it was something that... I talk positively about, and I actually learned a lot. And believe me, yes, there are those people. <laughs> um, but, like, there are also a lot of good people in there who are getting into that for the right reasons. And that was what I saw, like, you know, with Ephraim. He's like, yeah, y- you know, the people who are going to win and the people who have been doing this, there's a whole political hierarchy. Mm-hmm. That is how it is. But it is a matter of, like, you learn a lot, and you learn a lot about yourself, what looks good. I mean all the skills you learned and to learn how to use 
like losing too. Right. And so I'm glad you had a positive pageant experience as well. Do you have anything else you want to say about that? Because this interests me. Well, for the, well, for me, it's an endurance game too. Yeah. Because not only are you at an event for like seven days, you're dancing in heels on a stage. You're walking in a bikini one minute. The next, you're changing as fast as you can into an evening gown. The next minute, you're going to the events and talking to the people and. And you're being interviewed. So, I mean, it's a really big test of endurance. Yours was seven days. Ours was just a weekend. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure I was there for more yeah. than a weekend. I mean, it was a while. <laughs> yeah. If I had to share a room with any girl for longer than a weekend, I would have killed her. So I'm like, oh, how did you I'm, guys do I, it? I mean, maybe it felt like yeah. a week, but I don't think it was just a weekend because yeah. we were, you know, mine was in Laredo. Oh, and it wow. was a weird time to be in Laredo. I, I mean, I can't imagine right now, but I mean, even back then, they had us with armed guards. Well, yeah, because <laughs> um, I don't know if most people are familiar with Laredo, Texas, but Laredo is on one of the worst uh, borders um, with U.S. and Mexico, and it's there basically. Um, so El Paso is right by Juarez, but Laredo, what is that city? Nuevo Laredo. Yeah, Nuevo Laredo. That That's the one that... Yeah, it's it's the second most dangerous place on the border next to Juarez. Right. Yeah. So it was just a it was a weird time to be there at that particular time. But I think one of the things it can do for a woman, all of the body stuff aside, is it can teach you to advocate for yourself and advocate for other people. Because to really do a pageant, you have to have a cause. You know, and, and embrace a, chair, a charitable event or cause and really be able to articulate why that's important to you. And um, I've carried that through in my life, too. Yeah, because that was um, in the USA system, which is the Trump system. Right. They they don't focus as much on that, sadly. And um, But you do sort of at least have, have to have some sort of mantra. Um, the America system... Um, is the more, like, let's just say legitimate pageant system in a way because it is more about talent. It is more about, like, the cause. So I was like, oh, was, were you in a different system or was, no, was, was USA better? Miss USA. Oh, yeah. Oh, so it must have been better back then. You know, I, I don't know because, like I yeah. said, I only did it one time and I was like, okay, Alex, yeah. done. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> we're good. But, yeah, I think that the interesting thing, too, is that you see... The interesting thing, too, about pageants is you see a lot of women who are aspiring to be their best and also managing their insecurities Yeah. at the same time, which is it's a very interesting space to be in. Yeah, and um, I remember my biggest takeaway was my mom goes, would you ever do that again? And I said, you know, probably not, just because this thing means so much to some of these people. And I feel bad because, like... I learned a lot, and it was a good experience, but I'm like, I feel like I'm a better fit somewhere else, and I'm the type of person that I don't want to take something from somebody else when it means so much to them, and I'm, that's why I always say not everything's for you. You don't need to be included in everything, and you have to understand that, like, that's a different type of person, and that's okay, and there's nothing wrong with that, yeah. No, it's totally yeah. true. I like that you brought up that yeah. not everything is for you. Um. I think that's one of the problems when we get into an in inclusivity argument mm -hmm. in any any direction, any population, is we have to realize that that there are not every tweet about fitness is aimed at shaming a plus size no. person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not necessarily aimed at you. So I like I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, because so many people nowadays take everything so personally, and, and and sometimes you have to step outside yourself and think it's like, well, first off, this person a probably doesn't know you, um, and b they certainly weren't factoring that in, and if it's actually offensive, then you know maybe people should like look at it, but most of the time it's like they didn't mean anything by it. That's like as you pointing out with the fitness memes, it's like. Um, I will post some joke ones, like, back and forth when people are like, you know, nothing's as good as, you know, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. Some people have taken offense with that one. I'm like, well, that's that's their perspective. Like, to them, that's right. that they don't 
see it like that. But I'm like, I don't feel like they they are shaming anyone in that. Like, because I, or like sometimes they're like, this is my six pack and I'll like post a joke of like, this is mine. And I'm like, yeah, you know, six pack of beer. Right. And it's like, most people are like, ha ha ha. Like, you know, have fun with it. You don't always have to take everything as to mean anything to do with you. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. Totally. And I, sometimes I get questions about, well, do you think that body positivity actually promotes bad health? And, of course, I, I, I have argued that, well, you're a whole person. Your mental health is important, too. So not you can't speak for a whole community of people, yeah. either. You know, what, what the chain of events that caused me to be a plus-size person today in this moment is not the same chain of events that caused Ashley Graham to live as a plus-size woman or Melissa McCarthy or Rebel Wilson or any of them. Everybody has a unique story. Yeah, and exactly, like, and that's with anything. Everybody has their own story, and as long as, like, they're not personally attacking you, because especially when they don't know you, maybe, maybe, just, like, get along. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, and I've I've been every size from a size 6 to a size 2X, so I've I've literally been that, every size, I've been every size in between, so I know what it feels like to live at a hundred and, 40 pounds for me, which is skinny, to 200 plus pounds for me. And so I can kind of speak to that experience on both ways. I don't know necessarily what it's like to be chronically overweight from the cradle. That's not necessarily my lived experience. But, you know, I, I, I cannot rush to judge someone who's had a different experience than me because I haven't walked in their, in their shoes. Yeah, because, I mean, I have known a lot of people who were chronically thin, and, like, they were like, it really hurts my feelings when people say, like, eat a cheeseburger. They're like, I did, like, you know, or Mm -hmm. things like that. And I'm like, yeah, because it can go the opposite. It's like, okay, some people don't realize what other people are dealing with. They're like, we really are eating, or we're really not. And it's it's just one of those things that, yeah, you you can't uh, begin to understand someone's experience, and you don't know you know what they're dealing with. So just be nice to people. Yeah, I have I I have an older cousin who, no matter what she eats, she can't put on weight. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has to eat yeah. constantly just to live. Yeah, there's people with very high metabolism. Yeah. yeah, so I think one of the things that I think we're talking around yeah. is that there's a big empathy gap. Mm-hmm. And it's not getting much better because of our rhetoric lately, especially our political rhetoric. Oh, yeah. That we're not having empathy and compassion for other people. And if we're not extending empathy and compassion to other people, how can we extend empathy and compassion to ourselves? Yeah, and, and I feel like that's where it actually starts, is people who are not extending empathy and compassion towards one another are people that are struggling with it in themselves. And maybe that's what we have to do, is first look at ourselves and love ourselves and then learn to love other people. And then you will also, don't be a dick, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> we should just, you know, yeah. shirts. Or be a, compa- if you're going to be a dick, be a compassionate dick. Yeah. You know, I... I don't, and like I said, there's a lot of people that would, you know, say, oh, these people are the problem. It's the advertisers. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I get into that. But I try and hold myself back from that because they're also trying to do a job, which is sell product. Yeah. Oh, it's the male gaze that's the problem. Like obesity itself, it's a multifactorial problem. You don't just, you know, you're not just overweight because you eat carbs every day. There are lifestyle choices. There's genetics. Stress. Yeah. If you're if you're chronically stressed out, you're more likely to be obese. And if if you're chronically stressed out, you have to man. Some people won't lose weight until they manage their stress. Yeah. Well, because um, stress, I don't know if people are aware, um, ups the cortisol in your body. Cortisol is um, half of your belly fat usually. Cortisol does store itself in the belly. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of actual science behind that, people. That is true. Cortisol, you know, equals fat if you are stressed out and you are getting so much. So, yeah. And sometimes the most stressed out people are the yeah. most over-responsible people. Yes. You, everyone has that friend that can handle everything, that takes care of stuff, that seems to have it all together, and then has this myriad other list of 
problems and hard situations they're dealing with, and they're likely to be your fluffy friend. You know, and I'm that person yep. in, a lot of, in, in a lot of people's lives. And I've really had to own my stress and not own and sort of not accept that I am not responsible for everything around me. I can react to certain things, but I can't control everything. Oh, I know. I'm the same type of person. That's why certain people just eventually you're like, you got to take care of yourself for now. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you're an adult, I'm an adult, and this is like, because you want to be there. Because we are obviously overly empathetic people, as we're talking about, we wish other people were. <laughs> I was like, I could pick up on this. But yeah, sometimes you're like, oh yeah, I'm seeing me go down this dark path and with them, and because I'm like taking on too much when I have all my other stuff. I should tend my garden. Actually, that reminds me, I need to do that. Um, but tend my garden before I work on theirs. <laughs> no, and yeah, I totally agree with that because self-care is very important and I think one of the things is it's it's become a hot button word it's it's on Pinterest you know it's hot now (laughs) but we really have to have ways of of self-care that are our whole experiences I keep going back to that word whole but it's true it's not just eating something yummy to care for yourself is it reading a good book yeah is it taking a nice bubble bath is it getting you know you know getting out in in the sun is a, a dip in the pool. The problem is when we lift self care up so high, it a lot of times women feel like they have to spend lavish amounts of money that they may not have on self care. And we have to find ways of finding self care for ourselves that are simple, actionable, and not necessarily wallet busters that are not necessarily food based. I like that you brought that up because that's something I've been wanting to do with this show is sort of turn it into more of like a lifestyle blog, kind of giving helpful self-care tips because that's what this is. It's like, because I find listening to podcasts, sometimes I I have like a, a Bluetooth speaker in my bathroom so I can listen to it while I'm taking a bath. But these are things you can do at home and this will help you relieve your stress. Like, and that's one of mine or, um, you can buy, like, those spa, like, treatment things for your house, like, but way cheaper, like, those face masks. I know when my mom was here, we didn't have money to go to the spa, like, the Korean spa, like we normally do, so we just did on, you know, the mask ourselves, and, you know, saved a lot of money. Yeah, yeah and I think, especially when women help each other out with lifestyle stuff, the, be- the best advertiser for any woman <laughs> or her products or services is another woman yeah. in all in all honesty. And that's also what we try and do on what women want is give people actionable tips for living life and really pick the brain of the expert that we have. Um, but yeah, sometimes you're not necessarily economically empowered to make the most lavish choice, but it's learning how to adapt. And I think one of the keys to body positivity is being flexible and learning how to adapt and also not giving a shit about yeah. what other people think. Oh, feel afraid because that's not my yeah. life motto. I don't give a shit about what people think. Yeah. And some people may say it's sociopath, but whatever. <laughs> well, you're inundated with people's opinions. A lot, especially in some of the social... What did I say on Twitter the other day? I really wish my generation didn't feel the need to give their opinion about everything all the time. It's exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, you're inundated with these opinions, and you carry them with you. Um, You know, I'll, I'll tell you, I had a person in my life who was a singing coach who said to me, and I come from a musical family, but I'm I'm not the most musical of my musical family. Same. That's cute. <laughs> um, wow, we're like from the same soul pop. I know. I'm like, well. I, you know, he said to me, I don't think you're ever going to have a career in singing. The most important credit I've probably done to date, I sang in the movie. So yeah. that was one person's opinion. Don't let one person's opinion, whether they're your teacher, they're your parent, they're your your significant other who shouldn't be dictate what boxes you put yourself in and what labels you espouse and one of the things that I've had to learn is is really taking the labels that I just took for granted because the world kept telling me you're this you're that you're this you're too thin you're too fat you're too this you're too blonde you're too smart you're too whatever and learning to distance myself from the labels and especially what I found very empowering was Instead of saying, I'm fat or I am overweight, 
I started to say, I'm experiencing obesity. That way it's a transient thing. It's something that you can manage and you, it's not in your identity. It's more of something that's just happening in the present. Yeah. And that's such a more healthy way of looking at it because so many people, like they make everything their identity and it's like, no, that's just a thing that may be part of you, but your identity is you, whether you be, you know, obese, uh, too thin, athletic, um, you know, black, white, whatever. I mean, these things are, you know, just that. They're just things. They're not you. Whatever it is. And I feel like a lot of the, the negative thinking that a lot of people have are because they feel so attached to that as part of their identity. And it's like, no, it's, it, you know, that's just it. It's part. It's not all of your identity. Right. I think we just have to be careful about what we really incorporate into who we tell ourselves we are and who we tell other people that that we are and that's one of the biggest tools I've had to use to to really kind of get a, a handle and you could stop yourself from working in Hollywood oh I'm too fat to be an actress or I'm too fat to be a model or I'm too you know big boned or whatever you could really there's a lot of pressure out there and expectations you could stop yourself but I have not allowed myself to stop working just based on a perceived size issue because I haven't allowed that to be part of my identity I'm 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 a serviceable actress whether I'm thin or fat <laughs> well I do always find it funny how people think that acting is all about the image it's like when you think about the best actors as in like just the best you don't think about and and again I'll bring this person up and this is not disparaging to him at all he seems like a lovely person but your favorite actor isn't Channing Tatum your favorite actor is like Gary Oldman or somebody mm -hmm. like that somebody that looks normal because you're more likely to relate to them you like Channing Tatum but you're going to be more invested and too that's you know like Meryl Streep Meryl Streep does not look like a five foot ten supermodel and never has, but that's why she's so relatable. Right. Yeah. Well, another and another thing, a pitfall that we mm -hmm. fall into when we discuss weight and we discuss bodies, especially, is that we have allowed, as people in the plus size community, we have allowed this idea to be perpetuated that we don't care about our bodies, and. Trust me, <laughs> everyone yeah. cares about their body. If your body oh, yeah. goes away, you go bye-bye. But if you think about great physical comedians, two of the best, uh, Melissa McCarthy, Chris Farley. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Farley. That's one of my yeah. big strengths, mm -hmm. I think, in acting is I, I will literally throw my body into something if I have to. So there's, there you know, just I think one of the things that we have to do constantly is disrupt these notions and assumptions we have about other people people yeah constantly we have to question that and that's you have to have a certain amount of curiosity about other people and you also have to have a certain amount of mental non-laziness <laughs> for lack of a better word that, yeah that that that's great because that is sort of the thing is like you need to be curious about other people but you have to understand they are other people that that doesn't reflect you like and I feel like that's where people get negativity is, you know, you can relate to these people because they're somewhat like you, but nobody's exactly like you. And you've got, you know, or, you know, you may have traits like, or, you know, you brought up Chris Farley. I love Chris Farley. Um, and I can do the, oh, yeah, like that. <laughs> but, like, I obviously, on the surface, have nothing in common with Chris Farley. Right. I mean, like, but he's so wonderful. And as much as you and I have yeah. found in common for not knowing yeah. each other and just yeah. randomly meeting in a hosting group, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're not the same. No, you know, but we have we have various same points of of intersectionality and and stuff like that. You're never gonna you're never going to be able also to encapsulate the totality of reality at any given moment. First of all, your brain can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> So our art is not art is not necessarily a reflection of life. It's a, a sort of a pinhole peek into some something. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I really like that because I am one of those people that's very curious about other people. I mean, that's why I do this. That's why I majored in psychology. That's why, you know, I am so curious. So it does tend to bother me when, when you have those subsects of people that, are, that aren't. And, you know, and, and as you pointed out, like a lot of that does have to do with art being, you know, just that small pen hole. But it's like, come on, people, listen to your friends, listen to your family, like listen to people around you, not just podcasts, but, you know. Please listen to this one. That helps. <laughs> but yeah, and and you'll learn um, what is it in comedy. I don't know if you've ever been to like joke writing classes or whatever, but I certainly got more from the people that would be like, you don't need to watch television to write jokes and get jokes like because those have already been written. You want to talk to people around you or these funny situations. And that's where, honestly, that's where the best work comes from, mm -hmm. even in this industry, was these were based on something real. Right. <laughs> well, the, I think the best comedy, whether it's improv, whether it's yeah. stand-up, whether it's sitcom comedy, comes out of observation. Yeah. And to, uh, to observe someone else, you have to get out of you and be like, I'm interested in you and what you have to say. And that's very difficult for my generation because we're the I gener the millennials are the the I generation, me, me, me. Um Well, you know, here's the thing though about millennials yeah. is yes, there is that. There is a certain amount of um self involvement, but in all honesty, I think every generation has had that. Well and yeah. then they grow out of it. Yeah, and that's what I hope is like, you know, once, you know, people start reaching, you know, adult more adulthood because we're all adults, but right. yeah. I think one of the things in particular with millennial culture, and this is something I'm passionate about too, is that we were we were the Twin Towers culture, Twin Towers generation, and whether you were in high school when that happened or you were in elementary school, all of a sudden, big, big state had to protect you. So it's kind of puts you in a, a childlike and infantilizing position. We were attacked, and now the government has to protect all of us because we can't protect ourselves and that's not to discredit any of the people any of the heroes of 9-11 any anybody who died but there's a certain parent-child dynamic that when something that traumatic happens on a nationwide scale that can really affect people the other thing i think that really impacted our our generation is the 2008 housing crisis because a lot of people had just delayed delayed launch of career Especially yeah. if you graduated around 2008 from high school or college, your economic choices, your economic advancement was severely impacted. Well, yeah, and, and to the student loan crisis that it will only get worse and worse because, you know, I know a lot of the ins and outs of that and I'm one of the people that suffers from it, sadly is that, yeah, we are impacted by not being able to, say, start a career like people used to. I mean, because, yeah, I am one of those people that, um, are, like, sorry, mom's texting. That's hilarious. But, yeah, like, um, we are the people that are impacted by that because, I mean, hell, that's... But part of it is so many people feel like we are victims, but I'm like, no, to be honest, had I gotten a job right out of college, like, you know... I wouldn't be here. So I think, too, it's sort of like that is why a lot of people feel that way. But I just wish that they'd have that flip switch like I did and wanted to be a survivor. Because it's like, you know what? I'm in so much student loan debt and um, I couldn't get a job. And I, But then that's why I went to grad school. And then that's why I moved here. Because it was just like, well, I'm still not getting that job. What did I always want to do? Because it's not like you're going to be able to use this and you get pushed out there. So it's sort of thinking of the bright side of that. And like, and, and that is the unfortunate side of a lot of our generation is a lot of them haven't come to that realization is this stuff may have happened around us and to uh, the world, but it didn't happen to us as in the I, I, I. You've got to learn to be like, well, and maybe it happened to push you into something else. Yeah. True. No. No, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, and the social media, while, you know, a lot of people have very negative views, and I'd love to get somebody in here to do a whole episode on the bright side of social media, <laughs> but um, I feel like a, a lot of that has, is some sort of internalized in a lot of generation, the me, 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 the narcissism and going over, but I find it so much more helpful 
Because as you say, that's how we met and right. you came in. And and that's the thing is, again, the bright side of that is you can, you can choose to use it for good or evil like anything else. No, exactly. You can definitely choose to use social media for good or for evil. You control everybody and everything. Or you can create connections. Yeah. And you can make campaigns for things you care about. I... I am hopeful that we're going to continue to see more realistic images of women and men. We've been, we're women, so we've been talking about women and mm. women's fashion, but men also have body image issues too. Yeah, anorexia in men is way up than what it used to be. And um, I've heard a lot of good talks because, uh, you know, I won't mention the name, but, you know, it's somebody um, famous. They, he's struggled with body issues his whole life and things like that. And it is nice to see, like, these guys tell their stories because, yeah, I mean, how many men are struggling, too? And, and people tend to forget that because it, we we are more likely to be vocal as women on the subject. But, like, you know, I'm sure that guys feel the same way. They just aren't as vocal. Yeah. Well, and I don't think they have, per, they don't have the perceived permission to complain about that. Yeah. That's one of the big problems is, you know, things that are, are bad, detrimental, often grow in silence. We've seen that with the Me Too movement, how many decades this has gone on where there was just a culture of silence around it. And... The great thing about social media is it has the potential to disrupt the culture of silence around the things that are highly problematic if we choose to use it in that way. Yeah, and and that's what we've now become is, you know, not a culture of silence. And that means in all subjects, whether it be me too or like this, you know, really being honest about our bodies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that's one of the things is that I think for a long time people felt they had to keep their secret. Oh, what's your secret? What's your secret? Well, my secret is, you know, I eat ice cream for breakfast. Or my secret, yeah. my secret is no carbs. But now there, there's not necessarily... Every, everybody's trying to get you to buy into whatever it is that they're, they're selling or, or whatever they perceive their secret to be. So there's not necessarily this culture of of only a few people are in the know now everybody can be in the know instantaneously well and two everybody's in the know like with social media and all these things which is great but then that also the downside of it is um all the misinformation out there that oh yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah no yeah <laughs> no I, I mean and there's the problem is also is that we've not come to a cultural reckoning moment where we have an accurate First of all, for some reason right now, we can't agree what the truth is and what the truth isn't and what are facts and what they're not. That That's kind of a problem. Yeah. And, and then again, I'm like, not to go too down that rabbit hole since I was like, oh, yeah, it's the bright side. But yeah, there are so much of uh, what my truth and then the truth are very different. And then there's also the fact of facts versus feelings and then so much misinformation on the uh, Internet because a lot of people, an expert is somebody who knows that subject and whether it be education, whether it be research or whatever things, those things are what makes someone an expert. I'm sorry. And again, I, I love to crap on millennials and I am one. So let's just be clear. That is something that is very frustrating about our generation mm -hmm. is they tend to not respect expertise and, and understand it sometimes. Yeah. There's a huge authority problem. Yeah. Who gets to speak and why? Because you have infinitely many channels and, you know, and sometimes I have to tell you, you know, I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, I, 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 I just know what it's like to walk through the world in certain sizes and what, how that impacts me. So I'm always very careful to say, you know, I, I'm, I'm an expert in my experience and, and how that, that experience has impacted me, but go out and learn more and make it your, your desire and your opportunity and your challenge 
to learn more about what you do because my experience may be very different from yours. Yeah, and, and that's the healthy way of looking at it. You're like, I'm only an expert on my experience. Um, and, and that's the thing is like, or I don't know, do you have a degree in anything? or um, Bachelor of Science, Radio, yep. TV, Film, University of Texas in Austin. Well, so, and that's a good film school. Right. And um, so you probably have some level of an expertise in something like that, just as like I have a master's degree in a sports psychology so I know a lot about that subject and I did a lot of research especially in concussions so please don't ever try to mansplain CTE to me um uh but yeah that's neither here nor there but yeah like so we do like earn expertise or things in different ways but yeah the only thing most of us can ever say we're truly experts on is our own experience and, you know, that's one of the dangers, you know, and that's why I say this podcast usually has a disclaimer. It's like, this is what this is. And if this helps you, great. If it, if this is not your cup of tea, that's fine. I'm not pretending to know everything. And honestly, those, I will tell you guys, anybody who claims to know everything is not a smart person. No, mm -hmm. absolutely not. What it means is that they have a limited Hmm. They have they they have their limited experience, whatever mm -hmm. that might be, and everyone's experience is limited, yeah. no matter how cosmopolitan you are. Yeah. But they've taken that to be the totality of what is, yeah. which is very dangerous. It is, and you know that's why I was like, oh, we'll get into this sort of little bit disclaimer as we start to wrap up here. Is yeah, that is the thing. Is this is this is our perspective uh, versus you have your own, and you know just try to. To let other people have theirs, too. And I know it's hard because we think we're right, but sometimes you can't be right about someone's feelings. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Even if their feelings you perceive to be wrong. Yeah. And sometimes there's a disjunct, there's, there's a, a disjunction between what I think and what I feel about something. I may know rationally that my BMI is a concern, but if I have a lot of feelings attached to... Being a certain weight or something bad happened to me when I was skinny, it's going to be really hard for me to overcome that. what might happen if I lose the weight. So you really have to have a, you have to have a, a very holistic view of, of what you're doing. It's not just a body problem. A body problem is never just a body problem. It's not, they're, they're emotional and I would even argue, without getting too woo-woo, spiritual components to everything. You're a, you're a multifaceted being. Yeah, and, and that is the thing, is we're all complicated. Um, so, yeah, just don't always judge a book by its cover. I'm like, that seems like a, like a positive <laughs> thing that was going on with that. I'm like, it's cliche, but I think it works. Yeah, yeah no, you're, you know, you're not just your packaging. Yeah. I know. I'm like, sorry, that made me think of toys. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I just go off like a child. So, yeah. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say in regards to the bright side of being plus size? Huh? I guess what I'd like to leave people with is that you are not alone if you're plus size. You're actually in the majority of women and you're a substantial portion of men. So don't feel like it's just you and your skinny friends. You are important and you're valuable whether you're size zero or you're size 5x and always remember that going forward yeah and that's so great and where can they keep up the conversation with you if they want to chat um well um you can visit my homepage, uh kristin k-r-i-s-t-i-n west.net that will take you to my uh, personal homepage and blog and i have a whole um, section of body positivity thoughts. We have a new body positive thought every week and it comes out on the weekends. And also I'm on Twitter at the Kristen West and Facebook at actress Kristen, actually Kristen West actress and host Kristen West. And you can listen to me every Wednesday on latalkradio.com 6 p.m. Pacific time on What Women Want Radio. All right, and since I'm Lucretia Lyon, guys, you can always find me at L-A-C-R-E-T-I-A-L-Y-O-N anywhere on the internet since there is only one. And if you love horror, you should check out my other podcast, The Red Room. It's your horror news source, and those episodes are coming at you usually Mondays late at night, but that's fine. So, yeah, or you can find it probably at the same time as this one in your feed on Tuesdays. But, yeah, all the same platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Podbean. Thanks so much for listening and see you next Tuesday.